Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Contact Lost. Uh, I will be your host today, and I'm Joker. And with me today are some regulars. So please welcome Tiffus. Hello. And Pomba. Hello, everybody. Uh, first of all, sorry guys for not really um, posting or recording regularly. I mean, our last episode was, I think, two weeks ago, um, also featuring Pumba. And if you had listened to that, you might realize, at least partially, why this is the case. Uh, because I'm not too much into 40k nowadays. However, we have had a request from one of our listeners to talk about team events on team composition actually and as that is a subject that we like to uh, discuss here and have done so many times we're happy to take it up again uh so guys um i mean i think it's a bit of a broad question but how does a team of fate come to be um pumba why don't you give it a go so generally, yeah, yeah, generally in the there are many philosophies of um, building a team composition, I believe, especially in AV8s because it's the biggest format you can get, and it's specifically WTC format. I don't think there are many other, if any, actually. Are there, I mean, there are definitely events. Um, I know of some um, run in uh, the UK that run the eight-man format. But that's not a format uh, that is prevalent and it's not very popular because it's so hard to actually build a team into. Um, so I feel like building um, a team for, for such a format is way different than building for some smaller formats. And it all is very dependent on how, how hardcore and how dedicated are your players, I feel like. Um, I think there are two main philosophies. Uh, of course, Typhus, if you would like to uh, correct me, if you disagree with anything, you are more than welcome to. At the end, you are the person who has already gathered a Polish team together many times, and I'm just uh, uh, now being a team selector for my first year. Mm. So God I bless th- your soul. <laughs> I am going to need that. Thank you very much. Um, so I think the two main, um, attitudes I've heard of when building a team composition is you either go with what you choose your players by the virtue of them being faction specialists and you let them design their own lists very carefully and with much of, um, let's say free hand of what they can do and pick. For example, if they focus on a specific fake faction, you would like them to to build a list uh, for a task, let's say. So I want you to build this faction list, but it might. I need you to go 20-0 each game. You will be our top scorer, for example. And the other approach would be to have a team comp in mind, uh, in a sense of team um, army composition in mind. So I need a specific army and I will just tell people that I need that army. I need it played. I need someone to pick it up and build for it and prepare a list for that specific faction because I think it is way too important to have it in in the team composition. 
most of the time, though, I do believe it's a combination of the two. And this is what usually happens uh, in those formats, at least from my experience. Well, if I were to add to all of that, I think whenever we are talking about like a new community, new team coming up, uh, I think what you should focus man mainly is actually finding out the players. I do think it will be your main limiting thing. Actually, what armies you have at your disposal, what players can play. Then you can talk about like the whole team composition, who will play what, what will play into what, what will be used in a specific way during the pairings. But first of all, if you're a new face, you need to realize what everyone can play and then maybe work around it because that's the main limiting factor. As it was even for us within the team, like we had few players that we knew need to play their army and others can just then be more malleable and actually choose armies that would more fit what, what's needed. But I agree that there are like two main philosophies from what, I, what I've talked with other captains. I think one of them is actually figuring out what's, what's gonna be meta, how, how are we gonna counter stuff. The other approach is the one I see more teams who come from like smaller com communities less hardcore competitive is to actually just bring what you think is eight good armies and then figure out as you go. Whilst when I've talked to teams like France or France or English guys, their approach was more about actually figuring out how armies will work within the team at one point. So it all depends on the approach, but I think one of them requires much more devotion of each player's time and especially captain's time. And that is the one that is with a team comp in mind. Otherwise, it's way easier to figure out what are the good armies and then continue with what you have. Mm. And uh, what would be you guys' approach? I mean, um... Let's suppose that there would be an 8v8 in Poland, uh, not necessarily WTC, because you know WTC we've you've got all the whole selection process, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and uh, costs and logistics come into play as well. So it's not exactly for everyone. Uh, but say if there was something locally like that, uh, how would you go about uh, creating teams? So would you go first team comp and then selecting players that play specific armies and that are good? of them or just you know first pick a bunch of guys that play at a very high level and then assign them armies if you will um if i may actually jump into that question myself mm -hmm. and and discuss it because i think um studying an 8v8 team comp is very specific and sometimes very much 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 more difficult than any other format but I think it might be a good um, like insight and help for the listeners, so for, the, for everybody listening to us, to do a case study of building a 5v5-man team, because I do feel like it just um, many times the same principles will apply, but it just scaled up uh, to accommodate more armies and players. Um, so what I've actually done in my local community 
now for uh, at least three years running, is I found players who are willing to go, come to actual events with me. Um, by the virtue of playing and organizing many local tournaments, I've gathered uh, a bunch of guys who are like-minded in the competitive sense that uh, they want, would like to improve their gameplay and they would like to participate uh, in any uh, national and international team events with me. So that team is now called Krakow Smoke Brigade and I've been going to many uh, Polish and, and events abroad like in Prague that we won a lot, uh, this year actually in May. And that team um, has, um, I think what's the most important from the perspective of the captain is the fact that I know those guys really well. And that gives me a lot of insight into what I can and cannot expect from each, each one of them. And uh, this also means I can decide for each player how much pressure and expectation I can put on each of those guys. Generally, we have a mix of faction specialists that will just take one faction and master it and play it all the time and like hardcore spam it to, to learn every matchup, to be prepared for everything. And if I, that's especially useful, I feel like. If you are preparing for a specific event, you will need to um, recognize the meta you're going into. So that's, as, you're, as the captain, I feel like there is no way to avoid uh, the fact that you will have to spend time and prep time and, and general uh, mental space that you will need to uh, allocate to figuring what the meta is going to be. What are you expecting other teams to bring? Do you know them well? Can you expect something spe very specific from the top teams that you might be competing against and such and so forth? And that information will then apply to your army choices and what you guys will actually play and how the, your team comp um, should look like. It's very similar to actually, mm, I mean, running just singles events uh, lists. You would... If you want to actually win such an event, it is still very important to figure out what's the most popular faction played by the best player is going to be and try to play into that. Um, so it's it, the same thing applies here. So what I would do to give you a very specific example is tell one of my faction specialists, for example, that I need a list from him, from let's say my Tau player, that will counter other Tau lists. I know that will be a very popular faction, that will be a faction that will come up in pairings and will be a problem for me. And now that I have this um, gentleman, his name is Druzik, and he's been playing Tau for uh, at least a year, like really hard. He's made himself well known in the Polish community. And I can, now I can trust him to develop a Tau list that will beat other Tau lists in the mirror. And um, the other approach and the other type of a player that I have at my disposal would be someone like me or Crazy who was a part of the national team last year uh, who are more willing to jump from the army to army 
and instead of focusing on a single function, will spend their time preparing a build or a concoction of a build on any function that fits them at least somewhat playstyle-wise uh, to bring the best what we can and to fill out the composition, let's say, while having those other functions locked in. I was actually thinking uh, a couple of days ago before we recorded this about that, and I came to the conclusion that for an 8v8, almost any army is viable, provided that it has some play into something in the top of the meta, uh, at least in the place that we are now. Uh, would you agree with that statement, or do you think that there's something that really lacks, I don't know, anything, power, tricks, what have you, play into top factions? I think there's always a threshold how how much of a use you can get from a given army. And I wouldn't go with absolutes that every army can be used. I don't think that at every stage, like you could bring every army. Like right now, I would never see Imperial Fist making it into a team. And uh, I would say it surely gives you much more access to different armies and different builds because you have armies that can be create a very specific niche solution for your problem within the team but what 8v8s give is actually a chance to figure out whether a given army has something like that but usually it is still limited to like what can still play on a singles event even if it's not in the Windrow Lose system, let's say it's a free to army, it still needs to be actually decent, I would say. Yeah, I think I generally agree. I uh, do get the the idea of you can try any faction, but there will be factions that just don't have enough legs to stand on, do not have enough just sheer power in them to have enough good matchups to. Uh, to be considered. Um, yeah, they need to have shock assault for five points to be viable. Yep. One more, one more balance data site, and we will be there <laughs> for sure this time, guys. For sure. And, and one, one full ready. So um, yeah, fingers crossed to that. Uh, so guys, uh, an event of such a scale uh, is usually a couple months down the road. I mean, you need to register your team some way before the event actually happens. And uh, the meta tends to be quite uh, ever-changing nowadays. So how do you approach that? You know, like when a, when there's, let's say a tournament would be planned for February, and obviously January is a month that we expect a lot of change in, in Warhammer 40K. So um, what are your like, safeties for uh, preparing for such an event? One of them would be having players that can play, for example, two armies and not like a faction faction specialist because one army can just get completely obliterated by a balance change. And other thing is also when you choose your eight-man squad is to have players who are flexible enough to actually figure an army within a week or two 
if there's something that's gonna pop up, if there's new hot shit, you need that meta chaser within your team that will be able to grab an army and kinda do well from where he stands. I completely agree. Um, there will be sometimes time that you will bring like a super specific faction specialist to an event. Um, so now you are limiting yourself in that sense. Let's say this this uh, gentleman has definitely no ability to play any other army, for example. So now you are kind of limiting yourselves, and now you're putting your eggs in the basket that will, this army will be playable or good, for example. But the other takes on that might be that um, this army, this army will get, for example, completely obliterated in the, the latest patch or like super nerfed. But if that guy is good enough on them, if, if theoretically he's such a, a, an excellent player on that specific army and he has the ability to figure out the build for it, even after the nerf, you might have a, like a black horse of a list then mm, that will have your opponent surprised because uh, they did not expect this particular nerf faction to appear in your team, right? So it can also be somewhat of a feature. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah, fact, we've talked about quite a bit now about faction specialists so um and i guess this is going to be a hard question to answer but do you generally prefer to have faction specialists or rather guys that can play a couple of factions and i guess the answer to that will probably be a mix of both but um anything guys uh, pumba why don't you start i mean if i had a perfect world and a perfect team composition I would love everybody to be a faction specialist with every army, right? That is the best of both worlds. That is the um, mm -hmm. the ideal situation, let's say. And it's very hypothetical because that usually doesn't exist. Um, I think having players be really competent at at least a couple of armies is like the middle ground that you would be expecting if you are trying to really like build a team with specific people because a building a national team for example uh, is will be very different to building a team for ex like from your local players from your local environment because then you are limiting yourself even more to maybe your mates just just you, you just want to play with them uh, they are a team that you enjoy hanging out with and let's be honest um 99% of the events people attend are there to be enjoyed and just to have a uh, nice time with your mates. Uh, Not according having... to Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> but according to actual reward, that is the case. Mm. So that that kind of thing would be very different to building an international team, right? So mm -hmm. because of that, I think when thinking about building a national team, I would very much um, at least have everyone involved playing and and being competent, like really competent with at least two factions is the minimum I would expect. And just to not have that one person being 
like a super faction specialist that can play absolutely nothing else because that will sometimes limit you too much i i would say i would like to touch upon this from different angle i think what i would like within a team is not necessarily a team of people who know many factions i would prefer what i would call a playstyle specialists there are certain armies that play in a very different way you have armies that will tend to shoot opponents of board you will have armies that are inherently tricky and very mentally consuming and i would like a team that kind of has few of those players that can play specific archetype of an army that they feel comfortable in because i for one cannot imagine myself playing shooting guard like i would just die from boredom and uh, this you need somebody who can play that army and enjoy it even though it's a brain cancer but like you know to each their own but and not have too many players that for example want to play tricky combat armies like we have a problem probably within our team for Alpine Cup. <laughs> that might guys... come up, yes. And we will be uh, pulling straws, by the way, who plays the, the shooty of your board list, by the way. And it will <laughs> the be you. I... The most. It will be you, by the way. That will Love happen. <laughs> Are you telling I have the shortest straw? I am not saying that, I am just implying. <laughs> yeah, okay, so. only implying. <laughs> Suggesting. Oh, I'll remember that one. <laughs> um, but uh, did you finish your train of thought though? Or did they get derailed now? No, no, no. I, I think I kind of got there. I, <laughs> okay. I, do, I do not think that there's that much of a faction specialist when I... When you even look at our community, you have few players that can actually play different playstyles. Usually, mm -hmm. everyone is kind of dedicated to one specific playstyle they just enjoy and just want to play. That's also an interesting thing, I feel like, because I've heard many people, or at least some people, uh, <laughs> in this <coughs> saying that the playstyle doesn't exist. And that any any good player will play anything, um, which is, I feel like true for some people. I the, but it makes need, things way harder, right? You need to make a differentiate being able to play a specific play style and, and enjoying playing. Because if you do not enjoy, you will not put the time. Yeah, I feel like that's the biggest And it might affect performance, right? Yeah. So I would say there's thing called playstyle, but rather in what player prefers to do because he will put more of himself into it. Yeah. That makes total sense. Like, I can play Tau or Shooty Guard. I won't enjoy it, but if you force me to, I'll play it. I will just not put as much time if I were to play weird shit that I just enjoy trolling people with. So, like 300 brimstones. Yeah, that was 100 <laughs> to get your five straight. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but that's Sorry, another ex example. Like, I could play Horde. I would hate it, but I could play Horde. <laughs> <laughs> and there's like, Vladi probably could play it as well. He would go fucking molding 
already, <laughs> like from the get go. But he could play it. True. So like, I don't know if he's back basically with basically putting. I think we agree on the fact that putting uh, someone on a play state that he's not very comfortable with will just make them put less time into it. Yes, as you've mm -hmm. just said, um, and that. When preparing for an event, especially of the WTC caliber, will just eat at your level of preparation and then probably results. Yep. Right, so you both touched uh, about interesting things actually. So I'll come back to both of those. Let's, yeah. as it's more fresh, let's start with Tiffus. So let's take the team composition from a different angle. Uh, in terms of archetypes or play styles, what do you think an ideal team composition would be? Or like how many attackers, defenders, armies that can, you know, grab points of anything and then hard hitters that are just going to go for the maximum score? I would start with saying that I don't think there's an actual formula for this. I think it all depends on the terrain pack you have. Terrain pack will force you into specific team compositions, allow you to have more hitter armies or more drawish playstyle. Like I can imagine if we were to play 8v8 with small with slightly different GW tables, a lot of games could be very, very damn close. But if we have tables that allow more play with different approaches, like I think WTC does for better and for worse you can approach the team with few different in a few different ways i personally prefer to have not a dedicated attacker but have dedicated cog blockers i think that's something that needs to happen because some armies will are bound to be better in the meta and if you have an army that's just there to deny opponent points it can be a huge difference. What will score you points in a given round can change from round to round because opponent might bring something else within his team that your what you thought would be a dedicated counter won't work into that. So yeah, that that's my approach. Mm -hmm. I have really nothing to add there. I think that solves the the issue of attacker defender i think I, many of the times i've actually built my team or, or a specific team composition for 5v5 events i have not done a single list of attack or like a, a dedicated sport for attacker defender at all and i've just went with what i felt was the best mm, straight up army compositions and just figured out who was the the necessary defender on the spot so I, I would say I, I felt I yeah. I would say that it's really comfortable to actually have a defender set in mind that you can if you do not have an idea, default to that army to be your defender. I think it gives you a lot of comfort when it comes to actually doing pairings and stuff. And uh, I know it's an approach that Vladi took throughout his years. And I I do not think there's an army that should always defend. Like with an WTC, I was a defender five times, I think, and twice not a first defender. But yeah. 
I, I agree. I mean, um, there is one thing about like having your um, team composition in mind and the plan for the event, as in like this, this will be our uh, first defender. Especially the first one, I think, is is something that makes your life way easier when doing the pairings. Uh, but then not being blindsided by that uh, choice that you've made at the beginning or at the process of building your team composition when the time comes. Like, you need to still consider all of your options and have them available to you. Mm -hmm. All right. And uh, the other thing I wanted to touch upon, uh, Pumba, you've mentioned team spirit directly, and you also said that you base you kind of like built your team, the Krakow Smoke Smoke Brigade, from the ground up, pretty much. So, have you got like any tips for I don't know motivating people or like building such a team from the ground up? I feel like that's one of the hardest things to do in whole of 40k. Because I'm gonna be 100% honest, I think I just got lucky with the players it, I've met. It requires the... social skills, guys. <laughs> we are bound to be fucked. We play fucking to plastic toy soldiers. That what? is kind of the case. Social skills? No, this, this is not a... Uh, you you shouldn't talk to us, you have about. a wife. <laughs> <laughs> God damn. He's a head of the curve, boys. <laughs> He's broken the system. Well, yeah. I got lucky there. <laughs> so, uh, back to the actual question. Uh, uh, I think I just got lucky with the players I came across. Um, so, the, the community was generally uh, competitive enough that the players wanted to improve themselves. And then there was a, a whole thing of how do I do we actually get them to band together and help them improve? And that was about building um more than anything, I feel like building leader an environment. Uh, not so much, I think. I mean the leader figures came from just organizing tournaments, is how I've done it. So we had a uh, an eighth edition old terrain, for example, in our local gaming store that we organized all the events in. And what we've decided to do, along with Crazyman, who was the the Krakow's coordinator at the time, is just improve the terrain. Literally, we just sat down uh, with a bunch of scraps, literally like old shelves, stuff like this, and built new terrain that at least somewhat matched uh, what uh, WTC was proposing for completely free, like in our own time. And that little push uh, meant that every single tournament that we've run could be way more competitive because that meant that any event wouldn't just end with people bringing the most shoot list and going first, right? which was only, um, often the case, especially at the start of the edition. And, and now... And we play place terrain. For example, <laughs> you just pick your first um, piece of terrain or like put a small container at the middle of the table and you're done and now set, right? Because mm -hmm. the terrain were, uh, was good and because we started to organize like very regular uh, events each month and we had the specific people that really wanted to improve and get better and like ask specific question, 
we just banded together to uh, form something akin to a, a, a local scene, a, a team of some sort. And now, in the terms of getting people motivated to come to bigger events, I feel like the if you have already if you already have people uh, wanting to improve, one of the biggest hurdles to and hoops to jump through is a logistics. Straight up, I think sorting out the logistics of uh, going to any event will make people way more interested in in actually going and attending which i've been doing for at least like three years now i literally just ask them yo guys do we want to go to this and this event if yes i then in a matter of week organize everything pay for everyone book hotels uh, probably also transport them to the place and they have to play a game Which, I mean, um, it's something that makes people way more interested in actually going. Because nobody likes the logistic parts of, of going to an event. I feel like, at least. You want well, to play I, some I... games and enjoy yourself. And don't worry about all the small stuff on the back, uh, like at the, at the back end. Oh. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that last statement, but it can get uh, tiring for you. Uh, I hope it doesn't, but speaking from my experience, it does sometimes it become a pain in the backbone, if you will. Um, different you have experience to with babysitting, right? So, <laughs> literally. Uh, yeah, but you know, I've got more leeway for my kid than to actual other fucking adults, you know. <laughs> yes. Maybe not, uh, mistakenly, I do expect more from um, grown-ups. That's a def- that's definitely a mistake from my experience. Mm. Uh, you still have some belief in people. Yeah, 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 I do catch myself on that sometimes. Um, but uh, what about team spirit? How how important it is and how far can team spirit go? And uh, is there anything you can do to make someone feel more included within the team? Tiffles, why don't you tell us a bit about that? Oh, God, it now sounds like as if I'm giving a training for my corporate function. Team Spirit 101, why is it important? Go for it. You get along with like almost everyone in the community worldwide, so who better to ask than yourself? I don't know, I'm I'm just an attention whore. It probably helps, but... um, (laughs) That could be it. In all fairness, I think like everyone, their voice needs to be able to be heard. And if somebody just does it, you need to know everyone in the team. That's what Pumba said earlier. Like you need to know how a certain person operates, how much they can put time into it, how much they can be exposed into orga stuff. It's a typical people management. And I don't know how to even put it into actual words, how to handle it. I think for me and Pumba, it comes quite naturally and we didn't kind of have to learn it. At least I think so. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I think it's a it's definitely a skill. 
because I have not ever managed a team of any sort, for example, or ever managed people and my either uh, private life or work life or when I was studying and such. So I definitely had to learn how to behave in those situations. <laughs> it is very difficult and it's very personal with literally every single person that you meet. So the only thing I can like that I can generalize in a sense that team spirit is absolutely crucial. Like if we ask the question, is it important? It's incredibly important. I feel like it's one of the things that makes or breaks the team when it comes to competing in an event because playing a game of uh, Warhammer is very mentally taxing and it absolutely is a mind game at, at some level. Especially if at one point you are basically being sacrificed within the team for someone that you don't like, then it's also rough. You can have people asking, why him, not me, and stuff. Like, it's very difficult. It's one of the more complex, if not the most complex uh, things to do is to actually build a, a team that will work as a team uh, where every single player will feel like he's involved. He's just not, he's a sum of, of, of or like a part of a, a greater sum, right? Mm-hmm. And it will absolutely increase the results of a team if you have that going on. But how to achieve that is almost an unsurmountable uh, question, I feel like. I literally have no clue. Like, I could look for patterns in people's behavior, but like, if I were to give a specific answer, I don't have one. Okay. Um, so let's try a bit of a different thing. In team events, uh, people sometimes get thrown under the bus. (laughs) Is there anything you can think of that you can do to make that uh, a more enjoyable experience? Well, making them realize that every point they brought actually matter, which usually you don't see until you win a game by two points. Or more importantly, if you lose a game by one point, everyone will realize that their job was important. Yep. That um, it's some of all parts. Uh, it's actually, I feel like, comes down back to to the team spirit thing and knowing the players. Because for some people, the best thing you can do is like focus really hard on how they should play the game, how they should scramble for any point. Um, sometimes the best thing to do is like let them know that they will take like a whole like a whole cock to the balls in their mouth, and they will be fine with it, and actually make them laugh about it. It's very personal. I feel like um, it's also very. Uh, it's a huge part of team events to to be thrown under the bus because it is sometimes just required. But it's, do you feel like that there still, like I seriously cannot find a, a universal answer for everybody. Same. 
Because I, I know myself. I don't think there is a universal answer for everybody, is there? I can, I can tell for myself, for example. If I get thrown under the bus, I'm completely fine with it. Like, I can take all the shits and giggles if I lose. And I will be fine with it. Like, legitimately. But it's very personal. Mm. Some people just cannot handle that role. And I know that, for example, within our community, Myson and Skark are people that wouldn't like to be in that role. Because they have that pressure of scoring high, etc. And uh, we have people who are more comfortable with those roles when you are just basically trolling your opponent and getting as many points as you can. For example, me, I just love that. So it all depends on the person. And I think that's something that you need to take into account when creating a team and team composition that whoever has an army that's going to be weaker or a first defender needs to be a person who handles losing hard very well. Yeah, that, that does sound uh, like natural fit now that you've mentioned it. Um, so yeah, that's another good tip in the books. All right, guys, <clears throat> I'm out of questions uh, completely. Uh, do you have anything else to add about team events? I generally feel like this is one of the most complex and difficult topics. I feel like in the world of 40k that now is growing rapidly, uh, building an actual team composition for any event will be one of the biggest challenges that one can face um, as a player or then transitioning to being a captain. Because generally team events include more than just one person. And that involves a whole bunch of problems that come mainly from managing that. And as any sport, this will also this will do two things, right? It will make it way harder, but also from my experience, way more rewarding. If you manage to like jump through all of the hoops and overcome all of the challenges that you will face when uh, building your own team, for example, or joining a team, or getting your players together, or practicing together, or any of that stuff, you will find out that it is one of the best, if not the best thing that you can do is compete together in a team event, because that suddenly that social game that we all play because we kind of like social um, interactions, can now be even better. Can and I would also add to that that team events are a self-balancing way of playing 40k, where even the worst meta in an 8v8 format means that if you have two armies that are absurdly dominant, in an 8v8 it doesn't matter, everyone can actually play. Yep. And so that is a great thing that I think it makes team tournaments for me actually more interesting that I want to play them more is because I'm myself not a guy who will chase the top of the meta just to get points. I don't enjoy that. And if you are forced into that, if you want to compete in an actual singles environment, you will you might not enjoy singles as well, as much. But if you play singles in those metas with an underdog army, you might as well play team events and realize that your army might actually have more applications than what you are used to. So, 
more worth. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with those statements. Uh, team events are really great. So, <clears throat> so if uh, anyone has been reluctant so far to participate in one, do give them a go. Find any team. Like, actually, find a team of people you don't know, you probably will like them. <laughs> That's the thing about... It's a, as I've discussed previously, it's a social game and the team events is just the best way to get better uh, because now you have a team to practice with, uh, to get more enjoyment out of 40k because now you are part of greater something. Um, and it really shows like when people are way more motivated from my experience in playing in such environments uh, and just make new friends. Yeah, it's a great way into a community, right? Uh, I mean, there's really probably no better way to do that. <clears throat> um, all right, so we've covered team events. I think we've still got a little bit of time. So, um, Tiffles, you've went to the Leicester GT to referee <laughs> there. Um, Pumba, I'm sure you've followed it along. Uh, yep, given I had that. live coverage. Yeah, given that four out of uh, eight people in top eight play the same army as you do. So, um, <laughs> guys, any hot takes from that? Pumba, why don't you start us off? Uh, Thousand Suns and Flame is good. <laughs> I am, I might or might not be literally painting uh, Thousand Suns right now. Uh, yes, just make sure you sell them before like Christmas. Literally right now, like holding my brush and putting on gold trim. Mm. But yeah, they are incredible, and uh, but I also feel like they won't be an army that will dominate middle tables. Um, I feel like they are a relatively difficult army to play that will require uh, a lot of understanding of its possibilities and making a coherent game plan and especially executing it. Uh, so I feel like they will be uh, for the coming weeks because like months is i think overselling how fast they will nerf the the flamers um like i would expect them to pull some top three placings still as vic did uh, as david for example uh Gaylord did uh, go undefeated as well as everybody with their like every good player with the army is currently doing uh but i like if you're playing on mid tables, for example, I wouldn't expect them to be such a menace as something like Terrans were, for example. Mm -hmm. Or Votan can be a menace on mid tables. Yeah, whereas I like really don't think they will be at the top tables. Like I genuinely don't find them that scary at the top tables. I, I kind of agree with that. I think that army has a very huge skill cap, and the floor of playing TSB4 kind of didn't change. You've got abundance of small units nowadays that you can kind of give away for free and still be fine with it. But I think the win rates should be way higher if you were to look through actually top players rather than the regular players. I think the army still will be busted. I think it's better in, in win draw lose than in 20 nil uh, because it tends to play its own game that you kind of cannot interact with. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but coming back to the topic of Leicester itself, I think 
what was interesting for me to see was how dominant flamers were on the top tables. And I say flamers instead of TS plus flamers. It was just in fourth round, I think top eight tables were undefeated and there were 10 demon armies and one pure thousand sons army and the remaining 10 were either demons or demon with t-sons mix mm -hmm. and that kind of shows that this army is really prevalent but at the same time i want to add the caveat to that is when i looked at the names playing those armies in leicester it was what vic david josh roberts nathan roberts uh alex petford wasn't Nathan uh, playing Nets? Uh, or no, he was playing pure demons, right? Pure demons, yeah. But still, like those names are nothing to scoff at. Those are nah. players who are who are good. And uh, when you think about it, it actually shows how much army hopping they are. Well, which is sad, but well, Windrow does that to you. Uh, but I think like the event was actually kind of interesting. I saw plenty of games that I feel went way closer than I think they should. Uh, and Any specific examples? I think uh, there was one game where I think David Gaylard was playing against Krakenitz. And Guy on a charge with Flyrant failed to kill two Flamers. I'm not sure. Oof. <laughs> That's some bomba rolling right there. Holy! I, I saw those five hits, five ones to wound, one wound reroll to another one, and I was like, "Oh boy, you should have slow rolled that." Oh, shit. And then he proceeded to lose by like thirteen points. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think there's there were a few games that got closer. One that I was really surprised about was, uh, you know, probably Pumba Konrad Bartkevich. Yep. Mm -hmm. So he has a brother yep. who can speak Polish that. better. I know. And uh, and he he played against Mike Porter and lost that game with Tau by one point. Holy shit. That is incredibly close. That is legitimately And Mike insane. Porter, after, after the game, went like, I don't know what happened. Why I didn't <laughs> lose this? Why, why didn't I win this 20 nil? <laughs> What happened? He was literally confused. And the guy easily would have won if at one point he struck with his enforcer against two players instead of three players to take away an objective. So he had that the one game. He had the game. He just fucked up at one point. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, and I was standing by with Cal Grandi. Cal was reacting to it, and I just gave him a stern note, like, you shouldn't say anything now, bro. <laughs> like, yeah. Let them make those mistakes. So yeah, that was interesting. I think uh, Nassim's game against uh, Vic was interesting, except Nassim getting fucking wasted and hammered. There I was think that, one was, that might have been the most interesting part, to be honest. If I was <laughs> he made an alpha move in Vic's turn. He changed the clock onto his stallion, downed a whole beer, and changed the clock back to Vic. I respect like, it. I do respect it a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I, 
I was in awe of that. I think it was a close game, interesting one, because I think Nassim, I think Nassim lost by ex, like six points, but he failed to kill all ten termies. So one was left, taking away an objective, which gave Vic four more primaries, and then Nassim didn't do what would you call it decisive action, decisive holding action. three objectives. So it was exactly the points that he needed to win that game. Uh, so there was that. Uh, I think another game, at the same time, Brian was playing 30 TS Termis, and what's funny, turn one, 20 Termis charged him, managing to get off 10-inch, uh, no, sorry, 11-inch and 9-inch charge. Uh, and uh, then they just died. <laughs> um, yeah, that uh, actually can happen a lot. Uh, from my experience playing Thousand Zones, melee is actually not the place when the where they thrive. Yeah, where they belong. Yeah, I think I feel like like thirty inch comfortably setting, uh, preferably in cover for, with Imperial the, guidance is the preferred. To, to make this game even spicier, the Brian lost his turn one. I think the big boss on the Squiggles Hour. Because he was the first target to smite. What? How? What? <laughs> well, yikes. Small yeah, mistake. Small mistake. A sm small mistake. But you know what else was a mistake? Why he could could be smited? Because Brian forgot to deploy 20 commandos that was that were supposed to be, be behind that ruin. Oh. So he started his turn two without the big boy and 20 commandos. And then won. What a fucking legend! Let's fucking go. <laughs> well, I do respect that. Yeah, I was such a handicap in the semi-final. Let's go. Yeah. Let's take some oh, What a legend! Wow. <laughs> Next game, he played Vic, and actually, Vic reminded him about commandos. <laughs> ah, always the gentleman. Uh, so yeah, uh, it was funny. The most difficult part for throughout the whole weekend was drunk Nassim. That was the toughest part to handle. Uh, <laughs> other than that, it was great. Oh, all right. Uh, how have you broke your leg or something of the sort? Which I, brings us no, to... I. Oh boy, I, I will tell the story now. Okay. Coming back from the <laughs> event was Sit so down, much children. fun. Boy, like, first of all, on Friday, I bought myself. We, I went to a, like a coffee bar that we were at with Pumba a year ago, which basically had really good coffee. And I decided to buy some coffee for like Christmas presents for family and such. So I bought those coffees, and on the way from that coffee shop to the event itself, something just cracked in my knee, and I was like, nah, it's gonna be fine. Uh, turns out it wasn't. Surprise, surprise. Uh, but I just went to play, went to the event, I kind of was like, nah, what what bad could have happened? So, then uh, it started hurting after some time, so thankfully I took a compression sock with me, so I could actually handle it. But other than that, I got uh, on the Sunday after the event, 
when we were going to the hotel. Uh, first of all, I think somebody stole my, uh, how do you say, shalik in English? Uh, scarf? Scarf? Yeah. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I just couldn't remember the name. Somebody stole it of the venue, so I was already in a pretty good mood. But other than that, when we were going back, when we were taking a turn on the highway, I think we clipped something on the highway with our car and one tire just popped. Went just poof. <laughs> it's really popped? Holy Literally. <laughs> Literally. We're going and then we kind of stopped going. So uh, we managed to get to a Magnolia's car park. It was like, what, 11.30 p.m. So we called road assistance. They arrived around one, I think around one. And thanks to that, we got to the hotel at like 2 a.m. Then they changed our cards that we were supposed to get into our room with. So we needed to wait to get those done. But you know what was the most fun? It was that I had my flight at like 8.20 a.m. So yeah. I already I already knew that I'm going to sleep like three hours, which was great. But in the morning, we decided to actually check the pressure on our tires as we had to get a new one. Uh, we check the pressure, we, we make sure it's fine. And then just as we leave the gas station, five minutes later, uh, car starts swaying to the left. Guess what happened? This is this. Is... <laughs> I did another tire pop. No, the vent, however you call it, just oh. went off and left. Mm. So was that the same went... tire though? No, that was a different one. <laughs> uh, Fucking glorious, bro. So we, went to... so we it's went like a comedy to another. At this point, we went to another gas station, and uh, when Gareth just walked out and checked the tire, he went like, Fuck! Uh, I, uh, I knew, uh, <laughs> oh boy, I better start looking for another flight. <laughs> and, oh boy, I was right. <laughs> because another tire basically deflated fully, and at that point, I had rebook my flight because we called roadside assistant they told us yeah the closest workshop will be open at like 9 a.m which is in three hours so you have three hours of staying here Ouch. lovely this goes. oh poor guys uh, series so of unfortunate th events then i had the pleasure if you can say that oh. of sightseeing northampton or at least their workshops uh which wasn't truly a pleasure if you didn't get it from my voice. And yeah, uh, then when I bro, I needed bro, to one go time back, I don't go with you. One time. Then I needed to go back to Warsaw, you know, because I needed to be at one point at one place in Warsaw by like what was it? Uh, I needed to be there uh, if I recall correctly like 6 30. so i was like yeah cool i've got my flight that's supposed to be 2 20 p.m 
it's all gonna be good. So I walk into the airport. Bro, that's and... so much foreshadowing again. Yeah. <laughs> that is foreshadowing. And you guys remember when I spoke about the fucking coffee? Mm-hmm. Yes, who, who won a fucking ticket for a few, few free groping at the airport? <laughs> you get the full I got shakedown. free groping at the airport. Full body shakedown? Let's go. Yes, boy. I I got touched like I never got touched by another man. Uh, oh, we might fix that then. <laughs> sorry, uncle, you weren't that good. Uh, so, there was that. And then as I arrived, uh, I got a message that my previous flight was perfectly delayed in a way that if I were 10 minutes earlier, I would have caught it. Uh, but, well, I didn't. Uh, so, there was that. And the next flight got delayed first 10 minutes, then another 20. Then it got delayed to a total of 80 minutes, so I got late. And in the whole meantime, my leg was hurting like a bitch. So it was a great weekend. I'm never going to fucking Nestor again. Holy shit, what is true. Oh, That's what I happens meant- when I I, I I leave you one time, man. I leave you one time. And I only mentioned that leg because it means you're not going to the last Polish GT of the year, uh, which is in Bielsko-Biała, a free V3 uh, team event. Uh, so, uh, guys, maybe a word or two about uh, the meta going on there. i seen, uh, I think... Kraken, Tyranid builds, Prevalent, do they play well into the Thousand Suns and Flamers, in your opinion? You mean me bringing Kraken? Uh, for example, me. yeah. Are you there, like the only person taking Kraken? I think I, so. I think so. Oh, all right. Well, uh, Although that is a really interesting question to ask. In my defense, I, I didn't I look at many teams. <laughs> I am I am the Thousand Suns player, and he's the, the the guy who brought Kraken, who will not be playing it, though. Uh, so what do you think about that matchup, Typhus? I think it's a draw-ish. You think so? Yeah. Interesting. I think at it's, least I, after my talks with David, uh, Vic, and Yoku. Yoku told you that. Oh, interesting. I think he, uh, he. I mean, he didn't tell me it directly. It, I got told by Vic and David who tested it with Yoku. I see. Because uh, I've seen Yoku just destroy Liam with Kraken. Uh, which yeah. made me think. It might be actually favorable for the Kraken mids. I think it can be. Uh, that was the idea why I, I was supposed to play it. But I think it's a matchup that can be very dependent on many different factors. Mm. So it's basically unsolved. Yeah, I think it should yeah. be. Yeah, I could agree it's favorable if you know how to play it. Uh, with me playing perfect zero games with Kraken and I was supposed to learn the army on the first day of the event. I didn't feel as comfortable, but yeah. Interesting. Well, I haven't played it either, so maybe I will have the chance. I, I think it's, a, I think Kraken is a nice army when I actually went through it and thought about it a lot. 
I think. You mean it's... a nice army in the sense that it's broken? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's just so in the newest in, a in, way. The, in the newest, the hottest takes that you can have on the internet. Nid's good. <laughs> is the case still? It's been only uh, eight months. What I, what <laughs> I like about it, I think it's less forgiving than any other previous obnoxious. Ah, yeah. I mean, it is way so, more difficult to play than, for example. So I, I, but... I think it's unless you are a good player, you will not be good with it. Yeah, I mean, maybe not good with it. Good involved, then. Yeah, which I not like with thirty-six warriors, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> Any other hot takes from from the lists? Uh, I think actually Chaos Knights into that format work, uh, I mean Imperial Knights, actually fit pretty well. That's what I've been thinking, bringing them. We've been, yeah. like, we've been thinking a lot, lot about them, and I think they have been slowly falling out of the meta harder and harder with each month, each event, each army that appears. And now suddenly with the Flamers, with the Demons, with... Let's be uh, honest. They will not be great within a few weeks. I don't think so. When the guard comes out, he they are. Toast. And more people have Votan. Uh, they are toast. No -no. Yes, uh, but in this brief amount, like in this, this small space of this particular event, and right now this meta, I think knights are quite legit. As they, they, are good. they. I think they have drawish matchup against Kraken. Exactly. They, they they will have they a have lot drawish of drawish matchup. <laughs> Drawish matchup into Harley's and drawish matchup into Thousand Sons. Yep, pretty much. Which is Which... very good, very dependable. And can win against Negroids. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Which, yeah. when you count those, are, and they get butt fucked by creations of Bile. Uh, and, and by that I mean Abaddon. Um, but I think all of this creates an interesting interaction that when we go to those Freeman events, I think, I don't know about you guys, I literally was thinking only about those other teams that I know we will have to play to win the event. Yeah, absolutely. But this is exactly, uh, this is kind of coming back to the topic of uh, building a team, unless, uh, but this time it's like a three-man event with very specific type of pairing process. Uh, let's not get super deep into that because I think it's very, uh, very, very specific to to these types of events. And Freemans aren't as interesting. Yeah, they are not that interesting. They are kind of a way to play singles, but now you are a team of three, um, and you and you sh and you can blame someone else. Exactly, or get carried like a bitch. But the uh, principles still seem to apply at least in <laughs> some way. True, true, true. Absolutely true. Uh, what I was supposed to say, yeah, uh, we've been clear, like straight up focusing on the top teams and and trying to figure out a way to deal with with what we knew the top players are going to bring. We didn't care about the broader team comp or other matchups at all. Just just so trying to. Did you expect out. me and Myson to bring what we've brought? Yes. Okay, cool. I'm talking to Myson like every day. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> All right, guys, there you have it. We've covered the team building. 
and uh, some bonus content in terms of uh, Typhus's Why you should never fucking go to Leicester. That place yeah. is cursed. <laughs> no, you are cursed, bro. No, you no, no, are. no. That place is cursed. You, you know why? Because Brian got to final twice as well. Something is wrong with that place. <laughs> Avoid it at all costs. Shots fired. I love you, Brian. Sorry. <laughs> Such a cock. Such a complete cock. All right, guys, before we derail this conversation further, thanks even, very much. Even further? <laughs> yeah, even further. <laughs> thanks very much for coming in. Uh, our guests today have been Typhus. Hello. And Pumba. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Yeah, always great to have you guys on. And hopefully we have covered the, the questions that you were looking to have answered. And until next time, remember to subscribe, hit the bell button, leave a like uh, if you like what we do, and um, see you, hear you, um, we will speak to you soon. <laughs> oh. Right, uh, bye everyone. That's it for today. <laughs>